California, the sunshine state of America, was gleaming for another reason back in 1848. On a farm in Sacramento, near the town of Coloma in January 1848, whilst working on John Sutter's ranch, building a sawmill, John Marshall found gold. Two men tried to keep the find quiet, but word soon got out, and before long, people were coming from all around in search of fame and fortune. The gold rush brought tens of thousands of people to the area, from all over the world, and with it, the need for supplies, tools, and workwear. One man, recognising the business potential this brought, arrived from New York to San Francisco to set up a branch of the family wholesale dry goods and garment business. His business grew quickly, as did his reputation for quality. Then, one day, an opportunity arose that he could not refuse. That opportunity was to change his life and the lives of many others and would start a 150-year success story that continues to thrive to this day. This is the story of Levi's Jeans. Hello and welcome to another story of wonder, the podcast that shares the people, places and events that shape our daily lives. Podcasts are often found through recommendation and if you're enjoying wonder, please let others know by rating and reviewing it wherever you pick up your podcast or just head to the podcast page at injustoneday.com forward slash podcast and leave a comment there. For the show notes, links and sources for this episode, visit injustoneday.com forward slash Levi's. Thanks for being here. In January 1848, James Marshall was working on the construction of a sawmill for John Sutter on his farm near Coloma, in what is now Sacramento, when he found flakes of gold in the water. Almost in disbelief, he took them to show John Sutter. Recognising the excitement this would cause, the two decided to keep the news quiet. Somehow, however, it got out. But initially there was little interest as people didn't believe the story. Then, one day, Sam Brennan, a storekeeper in Sutter's Creek, recognising there was an opportunity for more business for him, collected a jar of gold flakes, went up and down the main street holding the jar aloft, shouting, Gold! There's gold in the river! Suddenly, interest grew, and over the coming months, national newspapers picked up the story, and even President Polk addressed Congress in December with the news. People came from all around in search of this gold, certain that they would make their fortunes. The biggest influx of people to the area arrived in 1849, and these men were called the 49ers. They were the ones who gained most, as the gold was still relatively easy to find. Between then and 1853, upwards of 100,000 people came to the area. They camped wherever they could, completely taking over John Sutter's land. Soon, tales of disease, pollution, Racism, brawls and prostitution were rife. The land was destroyed and any hope of salvaging a living for it, for John Sutter, was gone. People made the long, gruelling journey from countries all over the world, and they arrived with little. This meant that they needed tools, provisions and clothes, and so local businesses grew to meet those needs. They benefited greatly from that. 
panning work was arduous, long hours in difficult conditions and with no promise of success. The men wore waist overalls that were hard-wearing and provided protection from the hard conditions. Initially, the material they were made from tended to be duck cloth or hard canvas that, while sturdy, was harsh to wear, rubbing and causing their legs to break out in sores. Meanwhile, a young Levi Strauss was working with his brothers in the family dry goods and textile wholesale business in New York. On hearing of the great migration of people in search of gold, they recognised the business potential this could bring, and they knew they could supply all that the workers needed. Levi Strauss was born Loeb Strauss in Bavaria in Germany in 1829, to Hirsch Strauss and his second wife Rebecca Haas Strauss. Levi had two sisters and four half-siblings. Hirsch died of tuberculosis in 1846, and two years later, Loeb, his mother and sisters emigrated to New York to be with the brothers who were already there. Loeb worked with two of his older half-brothers, Jacob and Louis, who owned a wholesale dry goods business called J. Strauss Brother & Co., based in New York. Loeb changed his name to Levi around 1850, is believed to sound more American, and in 1853 gained his American citizenship. In the same year, 1853, when news of the California gold rush made its way east to New York, the Strauss brothers decided that Levi would head west and set up the West Coast branch of the family business. Levi, having gained good experience of the business from working with his brothers, soon had the new branch up and running in San Francisco selling dry goods, blankets, textiles, workwear and the like. Levi eventually renamed his company Levi Strauss & Co. Over the next 20 years, he built his business into a very successful operation. He was a well-respected businessman, but was also a local philanthropist, giving generously to projects for the poor. Many of the customers to Levi's store were the miners or their wives, they let Levi know that the overalls they were using were not as hard-wearing and caused chafing. They asked if Levi could find a fabric that was just as hard-wearing but not so uncomfortable to wear. Around the same time in 1872, Levi Strauss received a letter from Jacob Davis, a local tailor in Reno in Nevada, who was also a regular customer of Levi's. Jacob was born in Riga in Latvia in 1831, he emigrated to the US in 1854 and gained his American citizenship in 1871. His skills as a tailor were well regarded and he would often look to innovative ways to adapt garments for different needs. Jacob had been asked by one of his customers to strengthen some overalls for her husband as they were breaking easily around the points of strain. Taking an idea from a blanket that Jacob had, he decided to add a copper rivet to the seams and pockets of the overalls. This worked well. He recognised that this was something unique and wanted to prevent his idea from being copied, so he decided to patent it. Unfortunately, he couldn't afford the $68 necessary for the patent application. That's when he decided to write to Levi and ask if he could pay for the cost of the application and in return they would have a joint ownership of the patent. Levi agreed, and this proved to be the best $68 he ever spent. On 20th of May 1873, the patent, 
US Patent Number 139121 for rivet reinforced pants under the heading Improvement in Fastening Pocket Openings was granted to Jacob Davis and Levi Strauss and Company, creating a new category of workwear and marking the birth of the blue jean. That same year, Davis started sewing a double orange threaded stitch design onto the back pocket of the overalls to distinguish them from those made by his competitors. This became a registered trademark as well. Levi invited Jacob Davis to San Francisco to oversee production of the riveted pants for Levi Strauss and Company. Davis accepted and brought his family to San Francisco and continued to supervise the Levi Strauss factory until his death in 1908. In 19th century America, small mills were producing garments made of cotton twill to meet the needs of workwear and particularly overalls. One of these fabrics was denim, originally believed to have come from Serge Denim in France. Characterised by a natural and indigo warp and weft, Levi knew this material would work much better. It had the strength and durability that was needed, but also it was softer, more flexible, and so would not rub on the workman's legs. And so the denim overall was born. The denim for the first waist overalls came from a manufacturing company in Manchester in New Hampshire on the East Coast. This area was the site of the first American textile mills and by 1873 their fabrics were well known and well made. The new designs were a great success and soon Levi and Jacob had a thriving business in denim work overalls. By 1875 Levi had purchased the Mission and Pacific woolen mills from the estate of William Rolston. Production of the denim overalls continued apace in the new mill. In 1890, the XX model was given the lot number 501. This model was used by horse wranglers out west. A version with two back pockets was introduced in 1901, with belt loops added in 1922. The iconic red tab was added on the right back pocket of the overalls in 1936, to differentiate Levi overalls from the many competitors in the marketplace. At the end of the 19th century, Levi was still involved in the day-to-day workings of the company, but he died in 1902 at the age of 73, leaving the business to his four nephews. His estate amounted to nearly $6 million, the bulk of which was left to his four nephews and other family members, while donations were made to local funds and associations. He had been a great local businessman in his time. Levi was a contributor to the Pacific Hebrew Orphan Asylum and Home, the Eureka Benevolent Society and the Hebrew Board of Relief. In 1897, Levi provided the funds for 28 scholarships at the University of California, Berkeley, all of which are still in place today. In 1906, there was a devastating earthquake in San Francisco and along with many others, the Levi Strauss and Company headquarters was reduced to rubble, and with it, most of the historical documents and artefacts were lost. The four nephews worked hard and rebuilt the business over the following decades. But at the advent of the First World War, much of the fabric used for overalls was needed for the war effort, and as a result, a number of the mill's production declined. In 1915, Levi's were buying most of their denim from Cone Mills in North Carolina, They had been at the centre of denim production in America by the turn of the century. By 1922, all the Levi's denim came from cones. They developed a specific type of denim exclusively for Levi's, 
and it was that that set them apart from other denim jean manufacturers over the coming decades. The Levi's denim is still produced at Cone Mills to this day. By the early 20th century, the Levi overalls were recognised as the ultimate workwear for anyone who needed durable clothing that could withstand heavy wear and tear. Then, in the 1930s, Hollywood westerns came to the screens, and with it were the Levi-wearing cowboys on horseback. This raised the bar again for Levi's. They were fast becoming a thing of legend. Also in the 1930s, the Levi overalls came away from purely workwear and into fashion, when Vogue magazine featured its first fashion model in denim on the cover, hinting that jeans could perhaps be a fashion statement for women, something that would prove true as the decades rolled on. Levi Strauss and Company began selling its products nationally for the first time in the 50s. Easterners and Midwesterners finally got the chance to wear Levi jeans, as opposed to the products made by other manufacturers over the years. This led to many changes within the company and to the products themselves. Times were changing, and after the war in the 50s, young people started wearing the overalls more, finding them good to wear, for example, when they were riding motorbikes, and this made them suddenly become very cool. Movie stars were wearing them, and soon fashion-conscious teenagers saw them not as workwear, but as casual wear. It was then that Levi's knew that they had to change the name from overalls to jeans, a name adopted from Genoa in Italy for pants made of denim and one that was becoming popular. The pants were worn by sailors from Genoa in Italy with the French word for Genoa, jean, said to have inspired the word jean. In the early 1960s, Levi's changed all their packaging and advertising and removed the word overalls and changed it to jeans. Around this time, Levi's became truly global. Europe and Asia, and in particular Japan, came to know and love this iconic brand. With over 5 billion jeans produced per year, that represents about 1.5 pairs of jeans per capita in Europe, on average, and 4 per capita in the US. And despite all the modern influences and changes, the denim industry continues to look to the original blue jean and to Levi's for new inspiration. And what of Mr John Sutter back in 1848 whose farm and land was invaded by the prospectors? Well sadly the story for him is not such a happy one. By his own account his land was ruined, his plans destroyed, he eventually had to pack up and move on with nothing other than what he could carry on his wagons. In his written account he said, By this sudden discovery of the gold all my great plans were destroyed. Had I succeeded for a few years before the gold was discovered, I would have been the richest citizen on the Pacific shore. But it had to be different. Instead of being rich, I am ruined. The title of land he'd been awarded by the Mexican government was delayed by the Land Commission, and ultimately the Supreme Court decided that parts of the title were invalid. He died in 1880, having fought the rest of his life for compensation which he never received. And as for California, following a heated debate in Congress in 1849, it entered the Union as a free, non-slavery state and the 31st state of the United States in 1850, a state where to this day dreams are made and lost, and where all that glitters is not always gold. Thanks for listening. 
Keep in touch via social media or you can leave a message on the website. I look forward to speaking to you next week. Until then, have a great day.